0: This is the Life of Jesus podcast. I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Ben Greenbaum. My name is Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we are looking at the life teachings and works of Jesus from the four Gospels put together in one chronological blow. And we left off last time just before the discussion on the birth of Jesus. So, Ben, let's... Let's start there. We, we've discovered how they got there. That is how they got from their hometown of Nazareth up north, which is the region of Galilee, to some 80, 90 miles south, five-day journey by foot, where they had to go to Bethlehem. And that was because of a Roman declaration. Caesar Augustus made a rule that everybody had to go to their place of their heritage in order to register and pay taxes and all good things that governments do so they were they ended up in bethlehem and we have the birth of jesus story taking place let me go ahead and just read if i can from luke chapter 2 and we'll i'll, I'll pick it up in verse 4 and we'll talk about this a little bit so joseph also went up from the town of nazareth in galilee because there was no guest room available for them. This is a reading from the New International Version, which is a little different than some of the ones that we may have been brought up with in our understanding of how this this wording takes place. So let's let's take a look, Ben, at a couple things around the the birth of Jesus. That's it. The Jesus birth is laid out there in those few simple verses. I just like to to jump into a couple of those the the concepts that are around that a, a little bit and and one of them really is what's going on in, in Joseph's world at this time i mean he's now listened to the angel he's he's gotten up from his his nap when he <laughs> had a dream and god told him who this baby would be and now it's 6 months later she's now 9 months pregnant they have to travel far away Protective husband and dad stuff probably is taking place in him. What what do you think is coursing through his mind as he's trying to find a a place, not only to register and be in obedience to the Roman government, but also a place for his wife to give birth to the Son of God and to be obedient to God himself? What do you think is coursing through his veins at this point?
1: Yeah, I think as a a husband as a dad-to-be, there is the aspect of probably a bit of worry, wondering what what will happen next. And and I think also maybe a bit of, as it's indicative to the, the story itself, and, and I see this with, with Mary and if we see it pre-birth and, and post-birth of Christ, but just this constant, almost we're just going to entrust ourselves to the Lord. So we're just going to do what we're told to do. Right. And so, you know, eight days after Jesus's birth, they head to Jerusalem, you know, for him uh, to be circumcised. And we see this just constant persistent faithfulness out of Joseph and Mary. And yet, obviously as a concerned husband who adores his wife, as a concerned uh, father, um, trying to to discern and trying to find a place for her uh, to give birth in a crowded, I mean jam packed Bethlehem, uh, as all of these these families have returned to Bethlehem for for the census. Yeah, Beth-
0: Bethlehem. Just to interrupt you, it was a small town, itty bitty. Yeah, but it was where King David right had come from, right? And he would have been the king a thousand years earlier, and he was the man. Like he was the George Washington on steroids right. for Jerusalem, for Israel, for the nation. And so a lot of people claimed Bethlehem as their hometown, hometown right? That's so right. It, it got jam
1: packed with people. Right, right. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, I'm new to the, to the north side or new ish to the north side, but I know on the south side, one of the the site churches we had was in Trafalgar and you're talking, in, we're in Indianapolis area. Right, right. In oh, sorry. Not That's right. Yep. That's right. Yeah, we're in the Indianapolis area. Uh, and so uh, Trafalgar is a, a very small uh, rural community, though, though growing, but it's on the south side, about 20 miles south, a little bit more than 20 miles south of Indianapolis. And so we think about a Trafalgar who, you know, maybe population, maybe, you know, 800 to 1,000. Yeah. And then all of a sudden- this massive swell, I could just in my own mind, I envisioned Trafalgar swelling to ten thousand people, and what that would mean for that little Everytown community. Every town has like a donut festival or that, something. That's that right. They set up the, the right. fair and people crowd in. Right. That's right. That's
0: right. <laughs> so, yeah, you got it. Yeah. So there's there's crowd going on, and and it, the the traditional interpretation, or or that we we heard perhaps from King James or others along the way, uh, versions were that there was no room in the inn right. and it's always conjured up this image of uh, a mean old guy who wouldn't let them have a, have a room because they had at a no vacancy sign out. And maybe that was what took place. I, I don't know, but I do like the way that it's, this word is translated in the NIV and maybe other places as well. It says there was no guest room available for them. Right. I a few years back, it's it's been a, ooh, about nine years ago now. I traveled to Ethiopia, and one of the opportunities that I had when I was there was to, I got to go visit a child that Lisa and I had been sponsoring through the organization called World Vision, and we'd been sponsoring him for a number of years, just making a monthly donation so that that community could have water and an a school building and and school books and and the basics, the basic basics of life. And and then maybe even sometimes they they would provide a cow for the family to have milk and all kinds of things. So I got an opportunity to go visit him. His name was Marcos. My name is Mark. And so we had a a kinship, I guess. And I was struck by their home. Mm -hmm. Their home was made out of mud. That didn't startle me because I've been a few places in the world, but the home was very, very small, very, very small, probably 10 by 20, 10 feet by 20 feet, Mm -hmm. very small. And a third of the space was what we would call their kitchen. It was really just a, a pit that was dug out for them to cook food Maybe a third of it was their their total living space. So you can imagine how small it was, smaller than 10 by 10. and But at the other third, give or take, was where the cow lived. Right. Their cow lived in their house with them because it had to be protected at night. And as I began to inquire from uh, some people, this was a normal way of living, even in in Israel back in that day. That's true today in remote places like Ethiopia. It was, it was true back then. And the animals would live with people quite often, and the manger would be in the house. house right. So the picture that I have of this is that the guest room is in one of their relatives' homes, and there was no guest room space available. In other words, the cousins wouldn't move over for the pregnant lady, right, right, which is even worse than the mean old innkeeper story. Right. I don't know if I'm 100% right on this. Uh, I, I've I've dug into a little bit in my life. The Greek word there is kataluma, that's translated guest room. It's used again later when it's translated the upper room, where Jesus was, the guest room. It was normal for homes to be built with a guest room that was available for them. So here we are, I mean, at the very least, there wasn't a place for Jesus to be born th- through a, an innkeeper, but even, a, even worse than that is when aunts and uncles and sixth cousins or whatever they were said, no, we were here first, pregnant lady, go find your own place. Right. And so the only place she could go was where the family animal was kept right, and gave birth to Jesus. And laid him in the feeding trough. Yeah, that's a that's a a way for the Son of God to enter the world. Isn't
1: yeah, it? it definitely wasn't a silent night, right? <laughs> Not at all. I mean, yeah. everything now, um, you know, most birthing experiences within within our context, you know, obviously there's there's the sense of serenity uh, behind it. Not obviously serene, but you know, nice music playing in the background, uh, sterile room. But here we have what's most likely a common area in a house with people milling about along with, uh, animals and Mary giving birth, uh, in this environment. Yeah. And
0: um, among the donkey dung and right. the
1: sheep slobbers in
0: the, it, that are in the feeding trough and in, the area around that. And it's, a, it's a. I don't know if it's a better or worse one than the image of him, him being born like in a cave or a place. And I, I suppose it doesn't matter in the long run. Uh, the truth is that the son of God didn't come into the world as a Royal. Right. I, I picture yeah. like when some of the British royalty are getting ready to have a baby and how much pomp and circumstance right. there is surrounding right. that whole deal. And the son of God did not come into the no. world like that. It was in a backwoods, sleepy town, uh, in, in an, a cave or in a room or yeah,
1: somewhere. In an absolute humble setting, you know, and we, we think, uh, we were talking, you know, offline about this earlier, but we think about the angel's declaration to Mary of being, you know, the most, a, a most favored one. And this is what it it's leading to. It's this humble existence as she gives birth to, uh, to God, the son, as she gives birth to Jesus. Uh in this really difficult, hard environment. Yeah. And
0: it, it's it's humbling to know that God loves us so much mm-hmm. that He will meet us anywhere, anytime, anyway. I, I just I just love that. All right, let's let's jump to a little bit later in, in Luke chapter two and the response and the response of the shepherds the response of these these folks um that are working in the temple Simeon and Anna and I'm just going to I'm going to punt the ball to you and say pick whichever or or whichever one or ones of those that you want to talk about and and uh, respond to me in terms of how you see their interaction and response to the baby Jesus and the, the news of the baby Jesus Informs us in our lives.
1: Yeah, I, I look. You know, I, I love the story of of Simeon and, and Anna or or Anna, however we might be inclined to 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 say her name. Uh, but one of the things that I see with with Simeon and Anna that has always struck me is that we have these two uh, older, mature, as they might say, individuals, and their their deepest desire in life. Is to ultimately see the Messiah, to see the Messiah born, to welcome the Messiah, and and I and I look at at that in our in our own in our own twenty first century context. You know, as we age, we think about our bucket list. What are the things on our list that are yeah, most to important to it? See the Grand to Canyon, to visit right.
0: every state, to to go to Niagara Falls, right. To- to live in Paris for a year, you know whatever. That's right. Whatever, right? No, that,
1: that's exactly right. And their only, the only item on their bucket list is to see, uh, as uh, as Simeon put it, the, the consolation of Israel to see uh, the the Messiah. To where the words that I just that have always spoken into my heart as I become as I become more familiar uh, with this piece of the narrative, but you know Mary and Joseph walking into the temple and Simeon who ultimately is is a stranger to them, comes and just scoops the child up. And he says, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Mm. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. And so Simeon grabbing hold of Jesus and saying, I'm content to die, right? The the ultimate desire of my heart has been fulfilled, and as I reflect upon Simeon's life, we see a, a similar disposition in Anna. As I reflect upon their lives, again, that persistent question that I'm forced to ask myself is: is is Christ the true treasure hmm. of my life? Is Jesus the the ultimate on my you know proverbial bucket list? Is my life being conditioned by Christ alone? Wow, those are
0: actually powerful questions for all of us to reflect on I, I i interpret your your questions for myself as what's really important to me yeah what am i really longing for what are my hopes and my dreams you know as i think about this podcast even this is the first time either of us have ever done a podcast fortunately we're we're sitting here with our good buddy, his name's Doug and he's done them before and he's producing the whole thing. And so he's uh, making it work and we don't know what we're doing, but I I thought, you know, what, what's the, the end game of this, of this podcast, even Mm -hmm. because podcasts can go, you know, they can be listened to by a handful of people and sort of ignored, or they can be listened to by friends and, and, and acquaintances from all over the world. And, and sort of take a life of their own. And it's, it's never going to be the goal of, I know myself or you, Ben, that we would say, we want to become famous through this. (laughs) What we want to do is make, make God famous through this, make Jesus famous through this. And that's a, it's a, it's a tough line to walk in the realities of life. Like whether it's fame or fortune or power or whatever the Whatever the temptations are, the tripwires in life that are, that are in life, we, uh, we can often gravitate toward the wrong things mm-hmm. in the midst of that. So I know that we've both agreed from day one in this that if we ever get to the place where we're all about ourselves and not about, about the reality of Jesus in our life, then we'll shut this thing down. And that's true. Probably it should be of anything. We will resign from ministry. Well, if 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 it becomes more about me than about him, that I've missed the point. So I love what you said about the way that Simeon and Anna looked at this, and and Simeon said, "My my life's good now." He didn't need to go see the Roman Colosseum. He didn't right. need to go to Egypt and check out the pyramids. You know, there were things he could have done like, oh, this is on my bucket list. Like, no, I'm good. I've seen the reality of God in my life. And that's a, that's a word for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I I think, uh, yeah, I think a couple of things. I I think that, that it's safe to say that this will not be our path to fame. Um, I think that's, yeah. that's safe. I don't know. Uh, I got a couple ants aunts who will probably live too. To <laughs> right, right. <laughs> all of my family will be diving in at least uh, the first three episodes to this. Yeah. They'll listen to, yeah, exactly. After the first Christmas three episodes is, it's it, it done. is done. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There'll be those family members that, that dive in to this and to one of my cousins and his podcast on LSU football, which I could commend to all people. Uh, But yeah, I mean, we should at this point
0: let you know that (laughs) that Ben is a Saints fan and I'm a Blue Devils fan, so I'm not sure what that means about our relationship,
1: (laughs) right? (laughs) Right?
0: Or what it means about us?
1: That's right. That's right. Well, theologically speaking, I I think I'd probably be in a better (laughs) a better place. Uh, But yeah, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, for the Christ follower, the self proclaimed Christ follower, am I making much of Christ with my life, or am I not? Right. Right. And so as I, as I look again at Simeon, I look at, look at Anna, you know, the the treasure of their life, the treasure of their heart is the Messiah. I mean, that's where contentment is, is ultimately found. Um, Is that where contentment is ultimately found in my own life? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Yeah. So, so Jesus is
0: the, we're doing a lot, a year in the life of Jesus because Jesus is the centerpiece of all human history, right? Of, of time itself. Let me let me just take that moment and and go to the Gospel of John, John chapter one. We'll we'll close off with a couple of comments about this because the the gospel writer John, remember that's not the same guy as John the Baptist, but this is John the Apostle. the The gospel writer John doesn't start him with a birth story. Doesn't start him with Mary and Joseph or any of these kind of stories like that. He just simply starts with, well, the beginning of time. And he begins with a the phrase, or in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That phrase, in the beginning, echoes Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the first words in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a reminder to us that Jesus has been in existence before the beginning of what we would call time itself. He goes on in John, this is in John chapter one, now verse two, he, that is the word, was with God in the beginning. It's a reference to Jesus. Through him, listen to it this way, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made did you hear this jesus as john understood it is the creator of the universe father son holy spirit the the three in one were together creating the universe and there's so much more in these first 18 verses of the gospel of john that that really lay out for for us to understand and embrace the depth of who Jesus is in our lives. He's the life. He's the light. He's the, He's grace and truth. You know, there's the old saying, Jesus is the reason for the season, Ben. Right. Your favorite. I know you have T-shirts that are printed up probably like that. Oh, uh, I have a Christmas sweater. Oh, awesome. That's good. And um, we'll bring it in for a, a burning. And, and so we, you know, I mean, but all that craziness aside it is all about Jesus i mean that our faith our life our hope our meaning all of it and and john just launches into that he he skips all the bethlehem story mm-hmm. and the the innkeeper or lack thereof story or he skips all of that he just says let's talk about who jesus really is
1: yeah yeah and the The thing that my heart is so, uh, what grabs hold of my heart so intimately as I read this passage is the humility of the Son of God, the creator of of the universe, right, to take on flesh. And I know there's a a theological aspect to the humanity of Christ that that we will dive into in in the future Mm. of those at home, go read Hebrews chapter two when you have a moment. Um, but the humility that we see in the Son of God and the immeasurable love of God that, that Jesus would humbly take on flesh, be born uh, of a woman, experience the, the totality of, of human life uh, from the standpoint of infancy and all that that meant uh, to ultimately be nailed to a cross for our sake, that Jesus takes on flesh knowing that this is is going to happen, um, that there's intent behind it, and it's an intent born of love. It's an intent born uh, of a desire to see uh, redemp- redemption, his redemption uh, brought to this earth, and it's to, to look into the, to the manger at Christmas and for our hearts not to be gripped by, by what is present with us, right? God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, I, to just kind of walk a, away from that and to not just for our hearts to be overwhelmed by that, um, is, is perplexing sometimes uh, to me that there's so much within the the scope of obviously the Christmas season that, that we get caught up in. I know I get caught up in a lot of the sentimentality uh, around uh, Christmas um, for for a host of of reasons. You know the sights and the smells of Christmas that connect us to to years past and and to people and to family members, beloved family members that are no longer with us. I get caught up in all of that uh, aspect of Christmas, uh, but to see this this immeasurable, this unique otherworldly love poured out to us. Um it's overwhelming. Yeah.
0: Let me close this one off this time with by simply reading from Colossians. It's in mm-hmm. the New Testament. Colossians one. And I'll start in verse fifteen. Talking about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Heavenly Father, I just want to take a moment here and pray for all of us who are who are listening in on this, that we would approach and embrace mm-hmm. Jesus as you are, the eternal creator, the baby in the manger, yes. The one who lived and taught and healed the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And I pray that anyone today who listens to this, that maybe they're just saying it's time for me to embrace Jesus for who he really is. That they just take this moment and invite him in. Just say, "Come, come in, Jesus, to my life. Forgive me for my sins. Let me walk with you. I just pray this in your holy name. Amen. Mm. Well, if you want to keep going deeper in your walk with Jesus, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or the church app, and click on The Life of Jesus. That'll take you to the other things we're, we're doing in the midst of this, and that will help you hopefully grow. They will have things like daily readings from the Gospels, devotions, poems that go with those readings, as well as the weekly sermons and small group studies and and other other episodes of this podcast that you could want to link onto. So we thank you. We thank you so much for listening in today, and uh, God bless and, and Merry Christmas.
1: Amen. Merry Christmas. it has been fun. See you next week, or we won't see you. This is a podcast.
0: We, we will see each
1: other. We will see week. each other. I'll see you, and I'll see Doug. <laughs>
0: well, that's the main part.
1: We'll see Doug. Yeah.